following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. 894 is the episode. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, scholarly, and thankful Brittany Page, everybody. Is tomorrow Thanksgiving? <laughs> tomorrow is Thanksgiving. So if people are spending their Thanksgiving uh, mm. consuming podcasts, uh, thank you. They could be listening to this very podcast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I-, I could see that. I mean, sometimes people's. Days, Thanksgiving holidays aren't spent, you know, necessarily completely filled with Thanksgiving activities. Well, and if you really want to cause a ruckus with your family and you happen to (laughs) not agree on things politically, you can just blast the show and I'm sure that would go over very well. Blast this part right here. Hell yeah! (laughs) I was going to say something different, but... We'll keep it clean. Yeah, so we're not doing dinner on Thursday. We're actually doing it Friday. Yes. We have people flying in, and we you're actually doing the cooking. So mm-hmm. how are you feeling about, I know you've been menu planning, and you have, in my opinion, too many dishes that you're cooking, um, but how, do, how are you feeling going into it? I'm, I'm feeling fine. It, it is mainly the turkey, because turkey's such... It's it's shit. Turkey's terrible. Turkey's not great. But turkey's such traditionally Thanksgiving that when we have people... If it's just us, we don't do turkey. We do a ham or something like that. But because we're having people over, I want to adhere to Thanksgiving tradition meal-wise. And mm-hmm. so I'm a little worried about that. Like, I, I've got to get it brining. It's got to brine for at least 12 hours. And then it's got to dry for like a... Up to a day, I want it to dry out so the skin can get really... Anyway, yes, I'm thinking about all of that stuff. A little bit stressed out, not too stressed out, though. That's good. Yeah, I I do want to say that I was at the store yesterday shopping for last-minute items, and Christmas music was playing. It happened to be a really good Rod Stewart song, actually, so it was really nice. And Rod Stewart and CeeLo Green, who know they collaborated. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> it was good. I liked the song. And I, it, it's not necessarily a, a new feeling, but it feels new because I felt miserable during the holidays for so long mm-hmm. that when I hear Christmas music, I feel joy now. And I'm I'm happy to have that feeling, but it also makes me think of people that struggle during the holidays for for whatever reason. And there's a lot. Absolutely. And I have definitely been there, I mean, to the point where being in the grocery store and hearing Christmas music would make me want to puke, like vomit. Like I would feel so sad that I would want to puke. So if you're there, I hope that things get better. I hope you can find some semblance of joy during the holidays and that... You know, this bad period of time will be 
a time that you reflect on one day when you're hearing Rod Stewart and CeeLo Green in the grocery store? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean... it is. It's one of those deals where the holidays can either bring joy, or actually, they can bring everything all at once too. You know. Yeah. And yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm sympathetic to that. I've. You know. I've had tougher times in my life too, where the holidays aren't as uh, as glimmery of hope and and uh, and appreciation. There's been some pretty bleak holidays. You know. I mean, not necessarily bleak, but bereft of celebration. Times when I was in the Marine Corps, and you're not. You're not celebrating. There's not a tree. You're, you know, you're operationally active or whatever. So I get it. They don't make sure it's a special holiday for the Marines? You know, they do try. They do try, like with the the chow hall and and certain meals that they really go all out on. But, you know, you can't replace some of the accoutrement of the holidays if you're living in the barracks or if you're out of the country and, you know, your your operational tempo is, is such that you don't. Yeah, it's not always great. Yeah. It's not always great. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're thinking of those of you that are in that place, and we hope everyone has a good holiday. We do want to do a few housekeeping items before we move on. The Patreon end-of-year gift, we are expecting it to show up in the mail soon, and then we will start getting those envelopes out. So if you become a Patreon supporter by the end of the year, you will get the Patreon end-of-year gift, which is something that we started doing a few years ago. Um, just sending a gift to thank the Patreon supporters for helping us during the year, helping support this show. We also we also just released a uh, monthly bonus episode, which we mm-hmm. started doing for Patreon supporters as well. That one was our top podcasts that we like to listen to. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a good one too. I, I'm I like this kind of the the swing we're in for the the Patreon only content where it's like questions. From the audience, from Patreon supporters, from uh, what music that really touches us, what podcasts we listen to when we listen, it, it, it's it's been it's been fun. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to get in on helping support the show and produce the show, go to Patreon.com/slash I Doubt It Podcast. There you can pick your tier, and for two bucks a month, you can help support and produce what we do here. Let's thank some of our new Patreon supporters before we move on. In the spirit of Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Okay. This is, uh, these are our new Patreon supporters. So thank you to Kim L. Kim L. Randolph H. Randolph H. Lynn L. Lynn L. Ray K. Ray K. Som R. Som R. Sharon T. Sharon T. Doug S. Doug S. Doug E. C. Doug E. C. Michael A. Michael A. Bill V. Bill V. Richard H. Richard H. Robert T. Robert T. CTM. CTM. Robert D. Robert D. Robert C. Robert C. A lot of Roberts today. The Rubens Music. The Rubens Music. Laura M. Laura M. Kevin M. Kevin M. Terry B. Terry B. And Ruth Q. Ruth Q. We want to give a special shout out to the Patreon supporters who have increased their pledge. Mark M. Mark M. Maria L. Maria L. And Debbie B. Debbie B. So thank you so very much. We could not do this show without you. Also, make sure you check out the updated Patreon website and Patreon app because they have started to 
make improvements there. For a long time, Patreon, their app was barely functional. I mean, it didn't do anything. Yeah, I, I think you're being a little harsh. Uh, I would categorize it as dog shit. <laughs> so it, calm it was down. Not, yeah, it don't, was. <laughs> don't, don't let the invectives fly. It'd be easy on them. It was not good. And now <laughs> it's okay. So I'm, I think. And now <laughs> it's not dog shit. It has been promoted to okay. So I think it's going to get better than okay yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. And it will be good. And even I think it can be great. So we'll see <laughs> if that happens. Yeah. Um, again, patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. And we invite your participation in these conversations that we have. Uh, we'll drop the phone number before moving on. That's 657-464-7609. And of course, as always, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So before we get into the meat of the show and the the topics that we have planned... Which kind of meat, though? Turkey or the aforementioned delicious ham? We're just not going to get away from that. And we're going to get ourselves into trouble with vegans, I think, is what's going to happen. Because that that tends to happen when we talk about meat on the show. Of course, of course. Okay, so there was recently an article in the New York Times. Uh, We talked to some Kamala but not Joe voters. Here's what they said. Subtitle, a slice of voters would vote for Vice President Harris, but not President Biden, reflecting his challenges and opportunities. This was published on the 16th, so I guess I'm a bit behind. But I wanted to highlight two of the voters that they feature in this article, Mm -hmm. because my question is, what are we supposed to do with people like this? (laughs) And... I, I really want to know the answer. And I want to know, is it a failure of the media that these people exist? And I'm not talking about people who would prefer Kamala Harris over Joe Biden. I'm, I'm talking about these people. And let's just talk about the first one, okay? This is a 21-year-old financial analyst in Las Vegas named Clara. And Clara says that she might vote for Donald Trump. So she likes Kamala Harris, but does not like Joe Biden, and she might vote for Donald Trump. So, quote, personally, I think we're doing a lot. We were doing a lot better when he was in the presidency, price wise, money wise, income wise. Yet, it says in some ways, um, uh, Donald Trump offended her as a woman, and she likes some of the things that Biden has done. Now, here's the real (laughs) confusing part of this. The article says, most of all, she said she strongly supports abortion rights and did not realize that Mr. Biden does, too. She said that because states abortion bans had gone into effect during his presidency, she assumed it was because of him. Ultimately, despite her misgivings about the economy, support for abortion rights would probably be what decided her vote. So she seems kind of all over the place, number one. But how is it? That there is a someone in their 20s that is a financial analyst, seems to, you know, be going about their days, <laughs> looking at the news, I assume. Yeah. And well, aware enough that abortion is on the chopping block in America in state after state after state. And she doesn't know why 
the abortion bans are being put into place. Yeah. She thinks it's because of Joe Biden. Yeah. So well, how is that happening? I would I would ask, I would query this is what in the hell is a financial analyst and if she's having anything to do with people's financial well-being and their money, yikes. That's not somebody I would want anywhere near my dollars investment-wise or whatever the hell she does if she's that bereft of understanding and and um is that ignorant about the political process and the polit- political parties and where they stand it that's i mean that is a deficit in civic education in our country one more glaring example of it well and it's also taking trump at his word i guess when he goes on these rants about how things were so much better under his yeah. his presidency when that's just not the case I just did a video today, posted a video today, which is Wednesday. I wasn't at all, at all teeing you up for that, knowing that you did this video today. Yeah. <laughs> and and I addressed some of the, like he's he, he's now in campaign mode with some of these videos and he's talking about how things, how wonderful things were three years ago is the time frame he gives. Hmm, what was happening three years yeah, ago? Three years ago, he's like, gas was so low, the economy was rocking. Three years ago... Americans were dying by the tens of thousands daily sometimes from COVID. No one was driving because we were afraid to leave our homes because there wasn't a vaccine yet, and people were dying. Three years ago, things were not great. Yeah. And Donald Trump is trying to, well, things were great in the early days. You don't get credit for how things began. Yeah. You get credit for how things finished in your administration. Right. Yeah. So on that note, let's just talk about one more voter because I don't want to spend a bunch of time on this. But really, I'd be curious to know what the audience thinks, too, about. I mean, is it the fact that Joe Biden in this instance is not talking enough about abortion directly? Like he's not saying that word. He's not coming out and saying we need to protect abortion rights, that he does have a tendency to kind of dance around the word and not use the word abortion? Like, is it just that he needs to be more forceful? Or is it the media's error? Or is it just something that this person is not reading the news, not in tune, not educating themselves enough? And how do we fix that problem? I think that it's likely a combination of all those things to give the real strict cop-out answer um first of all joe biden i don't believe is out there enough the campaign has begun if he wants to be the nominee as it appears he's going to be he needs to be doing direct action direct talking speeches that are going to get televised um to highlight his positions and what his plan is for a second term i really don't know we're in tune and I don't know what Joe Biden is promising for a second term. That's a problem. Because we're not Clara, the 25-year-old financial analyst who has her head straight in her asshole and doesn't understand politics at all. We're not, <laughs> we're not her. Yeah. Secondly, I believe there is a problem in the mainstream media right now with trying to tee up and set up this equivocation and and leveling of the playing field between the dangers that Donald Trump actually poses and what some of the 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 foibles of uh, a flawed man that Joe Biden is his age in particular so they're not doing him any favors favors either and because of that he needs to go extra hard and do the extra work to get his message out there right and then of course it's also that she's a dumb shit 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, well, let's get your perspective on one more voter featured in this article. Mr. Maxson is how they refer to him. So Mr. Maxson, the 25-year-old garbage collector in Pennsylvania, considers himself a Democrat, though this election would be his first time voting. The Israel-Hamas war has made him doubt Mr. Biden's handling of foreign affairs, and he recalls policies under Mr. Trump that helped him. Quote, My biggest thing is not seeing America fall in shambles, he said. With this war, I think Biden is way too lenient with Hamas, Iran, Iraq, the whole nine yards. What I like about Trump is he was keeping everybody at bay and not wanting to mess with America. So this is someone who who calls himself a Democrat. Yeah. Talking like Donald Trump is is the strong man that Donald Trump likes to portray himself as and that he was protecting America from falling into shambles. This is the New York Times? Yes. Well, maybe it's just 25-year-olds are dumb shits because both <laughs> of these people are 25. Well, how are we going to reach... I mean, that's that's the question. That's what I'm wrestling with after reading this is how do we reach people like this? And I do think part of it is the media. I mean, those things that I mentioned, those variables that are at play are the things yeah. that are in my head. And... I agree with you about what the media is focusing on. I mean, we're working on a piece on Project 2025 Mm -hmm. because it's very important to cover that. And the media hasn't been talking enough about that. I mean, when you look at Biden versus Trump and the media keeps trying to highlight Biden's age, his, you know, he trips over stuff. He, you know, whatever. He's 81. Shit happens. You trip. Right. And Donald Trump is planning to, on day one, (laughs) uh, implement Schedule F, which is going to make tens of thousands of federal workers um, put into a category where they can just be replaced by people that they already have signed up and waiting for a position uh, that are sympathetic and supportive of Donald Trump and his policies and ready to go on day one and completely transform the government. And so, I mean, that seems like something that they should be talking more about when they're talking about Biden's age. Yeah, Donald Trump is absolutely going to. Donald Trump, maybe not himself, but the people he's put around him, are, they've learned from their mistakes in the first term, and they're going to implement some insane shit in a second term. And for the 25-year-old garbage man from Pennsylvania or the 25-year-old financial analyst in, in Las Vegas, it's going to be a world of hurt. For people who, well, Biden's being too lenient on Iran and Iraq. Like, what? What are you? What? What are you talking about? I, I don't know. I, it's we definitely need to do a better job of of being patient and being instructive and helping these people do learn because they are voters. But I don't have to be happy about it, right? I mean. <laughs> Come on. Well, so on this note, I, you know, I love to torture myself by watching Bill Maher. And I watch not not the whole thing. I I watch the clips that they upload on YouTube to see if there can be some potential videos that we can use on on the show, really. But um, he had Adam Kinzinger on. And Adam Kinzinger, of course, is one of the Republicans that was on the January 6th committee with Liz Cheney and worked in opposition to Donald Trump and is no longer in office and it wrote a book and has been making the rounds. I think he's a commentator now on CNN and, and different panels. But during overtime, which is this period after Bill Maher's show where they take audience questions, there was an uh, an audience member who asked, you know, since Adam Kinzinger is fighting extremism on the right, 
how can we fight extremism on the left? And I guess as you're listening to this conversation, I just want you to be thinking about, like, what is extremism on the left? Uh, Adam, as a Republican who stood up to extremists in your party, what advice do you have for Democrats who are trying to combat the far left? Okay, listen, this is the best thing because I... There was a guy, he was a Californian, uh, Dana Rohrbacher, that was like the only yeah. pro-Russian Republican I remember for a while. Him. And people would, I'd take him on in the Foreign Affairs Committee and people would say, hey, just let it, you know, he's just one person. He's probably being paid by the FSB, right? Whatever. Well, that crazy ends up like overtaking the party. The crazy of, you know, nobody imagined Donald Trump in 2014. You've got to kill extremism in the cradle or it takes over. Because if you, re- if you look at your coalition and say, we need this extreme, we need the pro-Hamas faction, or we need the, you know, the anti-Russia faction, or the pro-Russia faction, they end up calling the shots. Because if everybody in this room has a grenade, right, we're all equally powerful. If somebody's willing to pull the pin, they're the most powerful person in the room. And extremists are willing to pull the pin. You have got to be willing, I don't know, pull the pin with them or whatever. You've got to be willing to fight back. Did you ever hear that tape of Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, and Steve Scalise talking about uh, Robacker and Trump? Yeah, yeah. Okay, if people don't yeah. remember this, I mean, this is the fact that this doesn't get more play. I, don't, I mean, this is years ago, but this is on tape. Yep. And one of them says, "I think there's two people on Putin's payroll." Yep. That was one of them is Rohrbacker, and one of them is Trump. And the the other two don't go, "Oh my God, let's do something about it." They say, "This stays in the family, right?" Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just briefly, funny audience reaction. I don't know. <laughs> Um, the people that he's talking about that had that conversation, Kevin McCarthy is the one who said that about yes. Donald Trump and Dana Rohrbacher, who was um, our congressman for a while. That's right. And uh, the 48th district of California. And Paul Ryan is the Republican who stepped in and said, let's keep that in here. Let's yeah. not take that out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Just to give context there. But let's let's address the fact that the question was asked of how do we combat um, extremism on the right and then also extremism on the left. What power do extremists on the left have? What chance of getting into the presidency do extremists on the left have? None. It isn't a balance of power dynamic at all here. The right has a real shot at maintain, gaining again and maintaining power and destroying our democracy. Literally ending democracy in America. What what extremists are they? T- no one ever mentioned it. In fact, Adam Kinzinger, he didn't even talk about the left. He only talked about the threat that the right poses. He did say something strange, which was the uh, the pro-Hamas faction. And so I'm wondering... Who is that? Right. I'm wondering who who is it that is uh, an elected <sighs> official that is, has been vocally pro-Hamas? Yeah, no, there hasn't been one single elected official that has been pro-Hamas. There are people who are sympathetic and empathetic to the plight of the Palestinian people, much like I am, much like you are. Absolutely. Because dead babies is a problem. I'm also sympathetic to the the thousands of Jewish people in Israel who were attacked by Hamas, which is a a brutal, insane death cult it is a terrorist organization so if there are extremists out there that support hamas they're not in power they're just assholes protesting Mm -hmm. they're not on mass there's not it's not a, a giant block of voters 
It's a few extremists with loud voices. That's not the case with what we see in the Republican Party and the dangerous extremists on the right. Remember, Marjorie Taylor Greene was kicked out of the Freedom Caucus, the extremist caucus in the House of Representatives, because she was too mainstream, too too cuddly with Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Marjorie Taylor Greene is not extreme enough for extremist Republicans. That should tell you everything you need to know while these idiots commiserate and wring their hands about the the the, the equalness, the 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 the, the similar uh, danger levels that are posed by the extremists on the left and the extremists on the right. It's just it's it's absolute nonsense. Yeah, and again, it's a failure of this show, of Bill Maher, yes. of everyone on that panel, of anyone who goes on Bill Maher's show to not talk about how there is a tremendous difference between Republicans and Democrats. And, you know, you can make jokes about how that both parties are ineffective, both far- parties aren't doing what we want them to do. Listen, I wish that the Democratic Party was far more progressive and would implement far more progressive policies than it has. But I'm not going to uh, sacrifice our democracy in the process and our chance at getting progressive policies put into place. So it's very frustrating to hear Bill Maher, who still calls himself a liberal for some reason, um, that, you know, he continues to fail again and again and again in talking about the real danger and the real threat here from the Republican Party. He's also still widely embraced by mainstream media, getting interviews, people quoting him as though his opinion matters at all when he's he's a bigot, He's an anti-trans fucking bigot. He is an anti-science, anti-vax lunatic. And CNN still broadcasts his bullshit on their channel. Yeah. It is it is disgusting, and Bill Maher should be a, a, a scourge. He should be avoided by everyone as though he himself is a fucking pestilence and a virus. Well, a... <laughs> you know, something else that's going to upset you just as much. The views and opinions of Jesse Dollamore okay. <laughs> are solely those of Jesse Dollamore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. I was I was more so struggling with the segue. <laughs> well, there you go. There's your segue. But this is also going to upset you in a similar way, I think, which is the the Supreme Court adopted a a new ethics code or so they announced yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we didn't really talk about it because more important things have been going on but I think it's important to talk about because well you know all this reporting has come out about Justice Thomas and the numerous luxury trips the gifts right. the real estate transactions you know how cozy he has been with this billionaire mega mega donor and he's not the only one he is a mega mega donor Yep. Uh, he's not the only one. Alito also is taking part in this ingratiating, self-dealing nonsense as well. Yeah, he, I believe, failed to recuse himself when, uh, from a case that involved another rich guy who had paid for a private flight of his. Yeah, yeah so there's all these issues, mainly with Justice Thomas and Justice Alito. <laughs> but I, I came across this interview on PBS with Kathleen Clark, who is a law professor at the Washington University in St. Louis. And she really goes into how this new ethics code does very little to actually hold the justices accountable. 
It doesn't address donor influence. It doesn't address what will happen when justices fail to disclose gifts. It does address the recusal problem by saying nothing will change. It it views recusal as a decision for an individual justice. And if a justice fails to recuse, the court won't do anything about it. So you have read through the whole code now. What does it do? And if it doesn't do anything, why do you think all nine justices signed on to it? Uh, I believe that the justices, all presidentially nominated and confirmed by the Senate, are in that sense politicians. And they realize that the court uh, is in some jeopardy, in some political jeopardy, because of the scandals uh, uncovered by ProPublica and other journalists. So they felt pressure to take some sort of action, perhaps to stave off Congress from taking action and imposing uh, an actual uh, ethics code that would provide accountability. So I, I, I think that uh, this should be seen really as a as a political document, uh, as a way of addressing a political problem that the court has. You mentioned that congressional pressure. One of those who has been calling for Congress to impose and enforce a code of ethics is Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. He tweeted some of his concerns, which get to a point you raised earlier about enforceability. He said, the question is enforcement. Where do you file a complaint? Who reviews it? How does fact-finding occur? Who compares what happened to what's allowed? That is where the rubber hits the road. So, Professor Clark, do I hear you saying none of that is addressed in this code and there is potentially still a role for Congress here? Oh, there's definitely a role for Congress here. And yes, this uh, this code is utterly silent. It's basically a failure to address those really important questions of, uh, you know, who is it that will hold justices accountable and how will they be held accountable? I, and I, if I could just add one thing, uh, ironically, the court touts the fact that it imposes mandatory ethics training on the court's employees. It does not uh, impose mandatory ethics training on the justices. And that's where the failure has been. Well, that is uh, disappointing, to say the least. No punitive mechanism, no mechanism for oversight. It's just rules written down on a piece of paper that aren't enforceable. Yeah, it's just address address public perception. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, this is a letter or a portion of a letter from the Senate Judiciary Committee chaired by Dick Durbin from Illinois that I've read multiple times on YouTube. But but there's an element to this or a, a, a paragraph of this that really needs to be talked about because the Supreme Court, in a fulsome manner, believes they are above oversight. Mm-hmm. They don't need a code of conduct. This is in the letter here. 11 years ago, this is from the chairman, Dick Durbin. 11 years ago, several members of the committee, including the current chair, sent you the attached letter using the court, uh, urging, excuse me, the court to adopt a resolution stating that the justices of the court abide by the Judicial Conference's Code of Conduct for the United States Judges. A code that binds every other judge in the federal judiciary. You responded, this is a letter to John Roberts, you, John Roberts, responded, the court, quote, does not plan to adopt the code of conduct for the United States judges through a formal resolution and referenced your 2011 year-end report in which you said, quote, 
The court has had no reason to adopt the code of conduct as its definitive source of ethical guidance. When clearly the case remains that you do. You do need ethical guidance. If you didn't, there wouldn't be all of this bombshell reporting from ProPublica about all of the lavish trips that are being just heaped upon the justices who then in turn give uh, favorable rulings to the people who are giving them the money. Especially when the other justices seem to have this figured out, right? The federal rules require the disclosure of gifts valued at $415 or higher. Right. Katanji Brown-Jackson, the newest justice, received like a $1,200 bouquet of flowers from Oprah noted it on her disclosure she got to keep a dress from her vogue uh photo shoot which was like sixty five hundred dollars put it on her disclosure she's brand new and she was able to figure out what she needed to disclose on her her disclosures so that's part of the deal here is transparency i mean look do i feel uncomfortable that she's being given sixty five hundred dollar dresses yes but does it make me more uncomfortable that uh, that Alito and 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 Thomas are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars in vacations and yacht stays and private chartered flights, and they're not being uh, disclosed. Yeah, absolutely. As long, I think it, it goes a long way to make these things public, and we'll see. We'll see just how uh, transparent they are in the, in their new setup with reporting when there's no mechanism to actually hold their, them accountable. Right, and the big thing is that there's no one independent of that system right. to come in, like an inspector general or something like that that can come in and independent of the court do an investigation for whatever wrongdoing has occurred and hold the justices accountable, but they seem to be more concerned about what public opinion is of the court and protecting what the public believes about the court than actually doing something meaningful. Look, the, the problem is, I mean, when our country and the system of government we have was envisioned by our founders, there was this robust system of checks and balances in place. And when you have one branch that feels they're above all the others, above oversight from the Congress, when in the Constitution, Article 3, gives Congress the power to organize the courts, they wail and they cry and they whine when any talk of packing the court happens. Wait, it just needs to stay nine. That's what's most appropriate. We can't have 11 or 13 or 15 or 17 or 21 justices. Oh, no, that would dilute. The, just shut up. Do what you need to do. Be honorable in your duties. And you won't need to be threatened with uh, diluting the power of the conservatives on the court because it's it's not the liberals it's not it's not your 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 Katanji Brown Jacksons who are doing the wrong thing it's your the, the people who have been there the longest know how to cheat the system and don't mind sullying the reputation and the objectivity of the Supreme Court meaning Clarence Thomas Samuel Alito Neil Gorsuch the rest of these dipshits yeah absolutely yeah. So we would love to know what you think about that, 657-464-7609, or you can send an email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Before we get into asshole of today and taking care of biz, mm. I want to briefly just talk about this scary respiratory illness that's going around in dogs. And um, I 
I want to make sure that people know about it. If you have dogs, it is a, a scary respiratory illness that they they don't really know what it is or how to treat it. It's antibiotic re- re- resistant, and dogs all across the country are dying uh, because of this. Just like kind of scary. Kaylee Gordon says her one-year-old dog, Toby, started coughing about three weeks ago. We went to our primary vet. They were like, yeah, it looks like kennel cough. Here's doxycycline, an antibiotic that's supposed to treat kennel cough. And for we had him on it for two weeks, and he was getting progressively just worse. Another trip to the vet determined it was actually worse. And they said, yeah, this is definitely that upper respiratory virus that's been going around and they did a chest x-ray to find the pneumonia. Senior veterinary pathologist David Needle and his colleagues have been investigating this illness for over a year. We first saw cases from New Hampshire in 2022. And are trying to figure out a possible cause and treatment since it doesn't respond to antibiotics. What we are doing is doing just a, a deeper investigation with molecular techniques to see if there's some new or unknown cause uh, that we're not aware of. And so uh, it's still early in the investigation, so it's hard to say uh, for sure uh, what is causing causing uh, these infections. Meantime, experts are urging pet owners to be cautious, especially with holiday travel this week. If you're in a place where there seems to be more cases, I think it's probably smart not to go to a boarding facility and not to go to doggy daycare. You know, taking sort of standard preventative measures, normal veterinary care, vaccination, and uh, decreasing contact with other dogs is, is the key. And Dr. Needle says if you're visiting family for the holidays this week, as long as their dogs aren't sick or you're in an area that's not having a huge outbreak in cases, that should be less risky. Um, He also says that uh, it's important, again, to make sure that your dogs are vaccinated and that you're not exposing them too much to other dogs. Live in Manchester, Hannah Cotter, WMUR News 9. So similar to COVID rules for humans. Yeah, right? yeah. But it has been found in at least seven states, Colorado, Massachusetts, Oregon, Rhode Island, Illinois, Maryland, and Wyoming. Now, I can tell you this is scary for us because when we got back from Boston, Boston, yep, uh, Sweepy was in daycare, and then that next week she was lifelessly listless. Like, we were very worried about her. Mm-hmm. Took her to the emergency vet. $2,000 later, bingo, bango, she was still feeling shitty, but she ended up getting better. Yes, so, thankfully. I can't imagine if she had been infected by this particular resistant strain of whatever bacteria or virus it is, yikes. Yeah, it's very scary. So definitely take care of yourselves, take care of your dogs. And um, it's a bummer because if you're traveling and you've made plans to have your dog in a doggy daycare, I mean, I'm hoping that doggy daycares are able to take some some sort of precautions sure. or that they can do something to mitigate the risk. Isolate a dog if they seem like they're getting sick. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, you would think they would be on top of, th- I mean, this particular thing for sure because of the fact that this is their business. Yes, let's yeah. hope so. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo or a regular old-fashioned email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Stuart Seldowitz is our asshole of today. A former Obama 
State Department official. That's right. And he was caught on tape harassing a halal cart vendor in New York City. And, and it seemed like over and over and over. Because one of the clips I saw, it's broad daylight. And the other, like he came back to the scene of the crime to be a prick again when it was sundown. Yeah, he's also in different outfits when he's doing it. So <laughs> yeah. he's, yeah, like changing his clothes and coming back. It's like been an ongoing harassment campaign. And I first saw this video on Twitter. I believe you sent it to me. And there was a thread with all the different instances of, of him engaging in this hateful harassment that you're going to see. And some of it is shockingly hateful. Yes. And then I watched this NBC News package about it. And I thought it was strange because they only play like a brief clip of the stuff this guy was saying to the uh, the food cart vendor. And they give him maybe a full minute to explain himself. And so I, I think it's important. We should give him the chance to explain himself. And then we're going to play for you guys the actual content of what he was saying and doing. And we'll let you be the judge. If we kill 4,000 Palestinian kids, you know what? It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Go, 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 go. A viral video making the rounds on social media shows Stuart Seldowitz, a former security advisor to President Obama, going off on a hateful rant. And it happens more than once. Go. <laughs> Why should I go? It's a free country. It's not Egypt here. The edited video doesn't show what happened before the halal truck workers started recording. I won't hear. But you're a terrorist. You support terrorism. Listen, go. I'm not support something. Do you support terrorism? I'm not some. You go. I'm just working here. Seldowitz telling me it only shows half the story. This whole thing started when I innocently asked him uh, if he was Egyptian. He said yes. Um, I said this must be a tough time to be an Egyptian in New York because of everything that and he said why is that and i said well because of all the stuff that's going on uh in gaza and in israel and he said no it doesn't cause me any problem uh because i i i'm a i fully support what hamas did um i think what they did was fine it's not an issue for me and it doesn't cause me any problem i said does you mean you're okay with the raping of, of women the, the killing of children the taking of hostages and the killing of 1200 people uh in in israel and he said yes it was all for palestine and that's what got me upset the worker who recorded Seldowitz off the clock, but another employee says he first approached the truck on November 7th and has come back at least three other times. We just, we want to feel safe in this community. We don't want anybody bother us. We never bother anybody. NYPD investigating and now reviewing the videos. An officer speaking to workers about the incidents. Mayor Adams saying Islamophobia is hate, plain and simple. Attorney General Letitia James adding, this is disgusting, hateful, and New York won't tolerate it. Raping, terrorists, uh, Islamophobic comments. Well, that's your characterization. The comments that went beyond him and could be interpreted as attacks on Muslims and, and Arab Americans and so on were probably not appropriate. The comments that I made calling him out for his support of terrorism, uh, I think, I don't, those I think were appropriate. Stuart Seldowitz is a real piece of shit here. 
He's asking. He, he's he's making an allegation that well, this guy said he was okay with the rape and the and the, the killing of kids. So naturally, naturally, I said if we did kill, if four thousand Palestinian kids were killed, it wasn't enough. That I mean, of course, it's a natural inclination to answer hate and bigotry and irrationality with more of that. I don't buy anything he said. I don't yeah. buy it. I mean, I I don't either. And I think when everyone hears the, when everyone hears just a glimpse of what he said, like we can't just sit here and play ten minutes of his vitriol for you, and we won't because it's disgusting. But given the platform that NBC News gave him there to explain himself, I think it's important to give even more context for the things that he was saying. Because he made the claim, okay, that this this cart vendor is pro-Hamas, okay? So let's say you meet someone and they're defending Hamas. So just imagine how you would react in that situation, right? You might say to them, well, that's wrong. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Yeah. Uh, I think you're a bad person for supporting Hamas. Like, whatever you might say to that, right? You probably wouldn't start uh, asking them if they rape their daughter because that's what Muhammad did. Did you rape your daughter like Muhammad did? Hmm? Did you rape your daughter like Muhammad? I speak English. You only speak English? No, speak English. No. You don't speak English? Yes. All right. Well, that's, that's, see, that just shows how ignorant you are. Because your Muhammad was a rapist. It says in the, in the Hadith. Oh, in, Muhammad. In your holy book. Oh, Muhammad. What? Oh, Muhammad. Muhammad, your, your prophet. You know who he is. My prophet? Yeah. He was a rapist. He raped Aisha. Does it say that in the Hadith or not? You know that? I just speak English. What? No English. You don't speak English? Mm-hmm. What do you speak? What do you speak? You speak Arabic? The language of the Quran? The Holy Quran? That some, some people use as a toilet? What do you think of that? People who use the the Quran as a toilet. Does it bother you? (laughs) Does it bother you? Tell me the truth. I'm just speaking. You don't speak English? Ah, That's too bad. That's why you're selling food in a a food cart. Because you're you're ignorant. But you should learn English. It'll help you. Of course, When they deport you back to Egypt... And the Muhabarat wants to interview you for being a... a So if what instigated this was a lengthy conversation of this uh, food cart vendor defending Hamas, why isn't this guy saying, oh, you suddenly don't speak English? Well, you were able to speak English to me when you were defending Hamas the first time I was here at this cart. Right. Right? Why isn't he saying something like that? He wouldn't be questioning, oh, oh, you don't speak English. Oh, oh. Well, that's because you're ignorant, and that's why you're... You have this lowly job serving food. You should be deported. Doesn't know his immigration status. Doesn't know if he's a citizen. Yeah, this is just straight up harassment. I mean, mean, this is Trump supporter style rhetoric. And so, again, because NBC played that brief clip where he he made the comment, if we killed 4,000 Palestinian kids, it wasn't enough. I want to play just a little bit more of that section just so you can... I mean, this is so hateful and disgusting. I I don't understand why NBC News was like, yeah, tell us your side of the story for a full minute. Yeah, not only that, they his comment, if we... It, if 4,000 Palestinian were ki- kids were killed, it wasn't enough. They gave 
that, however long they gave it, 15 seconds, 20 seconds of him, and then they allowed him for a minute and a half to defend himself rather than give equal time to the hate versus the, the excuses. Here's more of Stuart Seldowitz. You want to you wanna say something? No. Okay, go. I don't want to go. I have a right to stay this, here. You have no right to be on the sidewalk. You have a permit? Yeah, I have a permit. I have everything. I have a license. Okay, but you don't have a visa. I have a, I have a, I was born, my friend. Go. What do you have? It's not your business. Go. No, it is my business because I actually know the guy who owns all these. Uh, I have an American stores. citizen. Do you have You're it? American citizen? Yeah, do you have it? Now how? How did you become an American citizen? It's not your business. Go. No, you're right. I'm born here. But you're a terrorist. You support terrorism. Listen, go. I'm not support something. Do you support terrorism? I'm not some. Bo- you go. I'm just working children. here. You're a terrible person. You kill children, not me. What? Go. My kids? What about my kids? You kill children, not me. Go. I didn't kill children. Okay, why see you here? You know why? If we killed 4,000 Palestinian kids, you know what? It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Go, 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 go. Who's the we? he's talking about if we killed 4,000 Palestinian children is he talking about the Jews he's not talking about Americans we didn't do this this is disturbing for one that it really has it's shaken my faith in humanity and people who consider themselves liberals this guy worked for Obama I mean this is not some Trump appointee to some State Department position this was an Obama guy and we're witnessing just whole-scale harassment and dehumanizing language about, do you have a visa? You need to be deported. You, this is why you're ignorant, because you don't speak English. Like He's not, dis, he's not displaying any, any humanity whatsoever. It's just it's disgusting. Yeah, he's just like going down the checklist of all of the toxic, ignorant things yeah. that the right says. So it it's very disturbing and I am hoping that something will come of this in the form of this uh, cart vendor not having to deal with this guy anymore. Yeah, I, I hope that, I mean, I don't know what can be done. Uh, this is harassment for sure uh, if they can issue a no contact order. But as far as a prosecution here, I just don't know what what exactly can be done. But it is nice to know that the court of public opinion has spoken. This guy was outed like almost immediately. His identity was known. And uh, whatever organization he had ties to came out and said, "Going for, he has done very little for us in the last few years, but we're cutting ties together, all together because this is disgusting and we do not tolerate it. So uh, that is good. Uh, we'd love to know what you think about this, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from the old smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Project Russo, specifically migrant families that are volunteering with Project Russo, which is a nonprofit in New York City, and they are doing a special for the holidays where people are coming in volunteering and uh, making pies that are then being donated to people in need. And we like to... Yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> 
I'm so glad that you did absolutely plan a taking care of biz and this particular one because it's a palate cleanser from the Stuart Seldowitz nonsense and the bigotry and the hatred. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's several things that go into this. One, it's obviously topical given the Thanksgiving holiday, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be volunteering their time during the holidays to give back. Um, there's also a lot of discourse right now surrounding migrants and uh, continued, I mean, what we just saw from Stuart Seldowitz where people are acting like migrants are a threat to this country. Right. Um, and I think that this this clip shows that people are just people, and people need help, and people need compassion, and it's always nice to see when people go through something terrible and don't harden themselves and harden their heart and instead turn around and, and give back because they know what it's like to be there. Deliveries don't come more special than this. Inside each box, a baked flurry of flavor crafted with care. Some 500 pumpkin and apple pies, not just made in any kitchen, but in this New York City school cafeteria, going to feed the less fortunate this Thanksgiving week. And many of the bakers have never celebrated Thanksgiving before or had these types of pie themselves. Totally new for him, this whole concept of Thanksgiving. They are from migrant families from across the globe who have fled untold horrors and in some cases know what it's like to end up in the city shelter system while seeking asylum. Like Darwin Reyes, who says he and his seven-year-old son Santiago escaped being kidnapped and tortured by militants in his native Colombia. What does it mean to be helping other families in similar situations today during Pi Day? Pi Day represents to give thanks and to have this culmination of families in similar situations all united under one roof to do something that means so much to so many people. I'm a big believer that our services need to be individualized. The group behind the Pi Day event? Project Russo, a nonprofit who's been providing full scope legal services to nearly 1,000 migrants and their families. You know, we always ask that question is this our fight to fight? And this was immediately obvious that this is our fight to fight. Lately, its work has shifted to address the estimated 120,000 migrants that have arrived in the city this year alone. And when we think about it, Thanksgiving started as welcoming a stranger to to America, wasn't it? So it's very much the same spirit. Also caught in that spirit, sure, sure, the Shanori family who fled ethnic, religious, and political persecution by the Taliban. I feel that I'm really thankful to God because I was the luckiest person among Afghan women who has the opportunity to educate So it doesn't matter where you're from, what country you come from, friendship, family, that exactly. is true everywhere. Exactly. Especially for the immigrants, the U.S. is the land of dreams, the land of opportunities. Families who have had to rebuild their own lives, now hoping to help others do the same, even if it's one pie at a time. So I thought that was really uplifting and it can be, you know, it's hard. We talked, we started the show talking about this. The holidays can be hard. And I mean, even just talking about all the news that we just talked about and the world can seem so bleak and dark and. But it always is a little better on Pi Day. (laughs) You throw some pie in there. Yeah. I mean, it makes any day a little better. It's hard to have a bad day if you're having some delicious, delicious pie. What this really highlights to me is that. I could be doing more. 
like I haven't lived the horrors of the atrocities that some of these people have and they're helping one another mm-hmm. you know I think if you find yourself in privilege you should use that and pay some of your privilege forward I mean it's it's incumbent upon all of us to take care of each other and that's this is a, a great example a great example yeah a good reminder yeah well, we would love to hear from you, 657-464-7609. You can email, I doubt it at dollamore.com. We are going to leave you there. We would ask that you consider supporting our work, helping produce this show. You can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. Take part in helping uh, grow this show, help us move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode basis. And we hope that you have, you, everyone out there, not you, Stuart Seldowich, Seldowitz, <laughs> you can fuck straight off. Oh. Everyone else, have a wonderful, happy, and healthy Thanksgiving with your families. Um, I hope we take some time to reflect on whatever good we do have in our life and try to manifest that going forward into the new year. Uh, we love and appreciate you. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been. I doubt.